middle cough. Hey, behaves. Here we go. Recording this podcast on a Thursday live on YouTube with an interview on the show today. John, in addition to all the stuff we're going to talk about, we have one of the most respected people and coaches as a person and as an offensive coach and an overall program guider on our show today. Oregon State head coach Jonathan Smith joins us on the show today. I won't tell him that he lost me $500 last weekend attending the game uh, just because I was all in on, uh, I think I, the and by then I knew he was coming on the podcast, but thank God for Fresno State, I was able to win uh, 60% of it back. So we're all good, Jonathan. <laughs> you're not going to bring that up, you're saying? No, no. We'll all let right. uh, uh, sleeping dogs lie. Is that the thing? That's right. Yeah. So if you're watching on the YouTube, that interview, we recorded it on Wednesday. will be in the audio version of the podcast, which you can get down in the link below. That interview will also be loaded on YouTube. So if you want to watch Jonathan Smith, we'll put that up. You don't have to be a college football fan or a Pac-12 fan or an Oregon State fan to like it. We just talk a ton of – we talk about him. Uh, he was a great quarterback, played with – you know, Chad Johnson was on his team when he was there. But just I think his perspective on quarterbacking, his perspective on football, his perspective on program building, on leadership – why, as a play caller, he doesn't call the plays, even though that's where you know he he got he got his notice at first at at Washington. So a lot of good stuff there. Yeah, the absolute man. I'm a big fan, and you know I'm I'm pretty confident. This uh, now this is his alma mater, but don't don't be shocked one day, people, if he's coaching at a at a bigger school, UCLA. Yeah, he's from Pasadena, um, but that'd be very attractive. It's hard, but you know what? The other side of that is. The guys who have left Oregon State, like Dennis Erickson and Mike Riley, we have to go through their careers, but I don't think they've ever had it as good again as they had it at Oregon State. I think it is a good place. It's a good gig. It's a good gig. Yeah, UCLA's got some decisions to make. I mean, Chip's last year of his contract is next year. And his buyout is $9 million, and his buyout doesn't expire until January 15th. That's a hell of a poison pill in a contract because you don't want to wait that long to fire a coach, but you also don't want to pay a coach $9 million to go away. Yeah. Well, you know, what did Tomlin say? I want volunteers, not hostages. It feels like they hold the defensive coordinator, Jerry Asnero, hostage and not allow him to ever be seen or talked to to the media. And he has free country, John. Four years. It's a free country. Except I think in the last couple years, I think we'd push back and say, that's not true, Chip. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Jer- Chip, fifteen and twenty-five, I think his total record is. Uh, God is absolute. I, that game, I was at the gym the other day, and they just, I think, it keep like ESPNU on one of the TVs. So sometimes I'll look up, and it'll just be a football game, but it's always from the previous Saturday, like right. midweek. You know, right. I'll look up and be like, Oregon, Colorado. I look up, it's Utah, and they were beating the shit out of it. I mean, yeah, it was just. Well. This is you guys are like our little brother. We are going to shove you around. And I said, God winning him, I love you. Uh, this podcast is sponsored by Tito's Handmade Vodka, America's original craft vodka. In 1995, Tito Beverage built his own distillery. Couldn't get investors, John, so he racked up 19 credit cards, acquired the first legal distillery in Texas, and started pouring for free at fundraisers. Next thing you know, he's entering contests he doesn't even want to be in. Turns out it's like the world awards. Double gold, he wins it all. Number one. And uh, then he's in Trader Joe's, and now the whole thing's rolling. I think that's why we relate. Uh, we're not quite on Tito's level right now, but we, we were also told once upon a time you guys are not good enough to ever host a morning show. You two village idiots didn't believe. Like Tito, he couldn't get anyone to believe, yet we believed and he believed, 
And the cream always rises, baby. Tito's number one vodka in America. Here's what I need to do. Make sure you do this all weekend long as you're having cocktails. Tweet at us. Link us in your tweets. Link us in your Instagram videos. Link us in your Insta stories. When you're having a glass of Tito's with cranberry, with soda water, with lemonade, with what a dirty martini, whatever you're drinking, show us. Yeah, we appreciate that. Tito's loves it. Uh, and you love Tito's. Tito's distilled and bottled in Austin, Texas. 40% alcohol by volume, namely 80 proof, crafted to be savored responsibly. Podcast also brought to you by mybookie.ag promo code ham and the number one. Mybookie.ag promo code ham and the number one. Well, they're double that deposit um, up to a thousand bucks. If you decline the bonus, you can still use the promo code ham one. If you accept the bonus, you have to bet the full amount before you can withdraw funds. What's I, got the, I, got, I got the itch on Wednesday night. I'm like, I, I just, these, nothing's doing it for me. I'm like, I need a little juice. Like, I watch Warriors Hornets. I'm like, I'll throw $200 on the Warriors minus six. And it worked. I won $180. MyBookie.ag, promo code M1. You can gamble on basketball. You can gamble on, obviously, baseball's over now, college football, and the NFL. And our lock of the week. Turns out, you know, he's got a little banged up finger. You know, he's not, I wouldn't say, 100% healthy. Uh, you know, so uh, mybookie.ag, we have the Chargers, but here's the here's the good thing, and I texted you this when I saw it yesterday. We got them at minus one. Chargers, minus one at Philadelphia. Tough place to play, though I don't know if the fans are huge believers in their squad, but the line now is minus two. So that, to me, is a good sign. Like, I think a lot of the Sharps saw value. People start gambling on the Chargers. Now, he is limited in practice, so he's got a little little finger issue, which is not nothing, you know, on a throwing hand. But it's something to keep an eye on, Herbert. We're praying for you. The good news on Justin Herbert is he's got a huge arm, so even like 85% health, he still has enough arm to play in an NFL game, right? You would hope. Yeah. That's I would say I'm this. It, it. It, well, if the Chargers lose to the Eagles, and when we got a minus one, so they would have to lose. I mean, worst case, they lose by one, we're good. But, I mean, they, you lose by several points. They would feel like a team that is just – Crumble. Say that again. If the Chargers, lo- the Chargers can't. The Chargers are minus one. Excuse me. Yeah. So they so cannot they, lose by they any. Can't, they, they cannot lose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> but if they cannot cover one point, so they either tie, right? We're in trouble. Then no one scores in overtime, or they or they lose. Yeah. It will be one of the bigger stories. Like everyone was, you know, given Brandon Staley and Herbert, including ourselves, kind of a reach around. They they would all of a sudden be four and four and trending uh, in a direction that is. It's one thing to lose to Belichick and the Ravens. It's another thing to go to Philadelphia, a team that looks like a six seven win team, and get and lose. Right. The Chargers need yeah. this win. A little must win category guy. There's a few teams out there that we can get into, but there are a few teams out there, and and I think it hap- it's happening. I mean, it, it happens in the NFC, but I would say in the AFC, there are good teams, think teams that look like playoff teams that need to win, right? Because right now the Chargers are the seventh seed at four and three. Um, I don't think Pittsburgh, who's four and three, is going to make the playoffs, but there are. there's New England, there's Kansas City, there's Cleveland, there's Indy still out there. Sam Darnold pro- probably there. not going to play, so that's New England's going to win five and four. Uh, yeah, exactly. And Sam Donald was going to play. New England was going to win. So you think think Belichick's losing sleep to him? Yeah, there's the AFC is filled with teams that need to win. You're right. That's a good point on the chart. Didn't Sam once famously say, "I'm seeing ghosts," and I'm pretty sure it was against Bill. He what? Yeah, he did. (laughs) Yeah, he did. But um, uh, yeah, I I hated that for him. 
that he's just I, a moment of honesty got used against him that way. Yeah, I mean, Bill's caused a lot of people to see ghosts, right? With different random shit going on in the secondary. Absolutely. Do you think Bill would rather see Sam this weekend or PJ uh, PJ Walker? I mean, I haven't watched a lot of PJ since <clears throat> the AAF. He does run around. I do remember his his debut this year. He was like four of nineteen passing the football. It was. Ugly. I don't think Bill cares one way or the other. I don't think so either. Uh, Carlos says Browns or Bengals. That's actually on my to-do list for the uh, topics later in the show today. I want to get to that, too, because that's another big one. Uh, but, John, we got a lot of people in the chat uh, bringing it up. Obviously, the Henry Rugg situation is something we talked a lot about the other day. It's something that we followed very closely. We both watched the um, not just uh, Rich Passaccia's press conference, but Derek Carr's press conference on Wednesday. I thought both handled things really well. Whether or not Passaccia can become the head coach of the Raiders – Time will tell. But one thing we know is Derek Carr is the franchise quarterback for the Las Vegas Raiders. And he's gotten a lot of opportunities to act and play like a franchise quarterback this year. He's played like it. He's acted like it. I don't know what more the Raiders could want from this guy. He's given them everything they need. Well, we bullshitting a little bit, right? We just touched on the AFC has got a lot of question marks. It is kind of the opposite of the NFC where there are already five, it feels like, locks to make the playoffs. And really – once Rodgers comes back, three or four powerhouse teams. Where is it inconceivable? Like I, I was, we were talking after the, you know, it, was, it just happened. The rugs thing is going to be very difficult. But then you start looking at the AFC. Now I don't know if they can get the one seed, but if they win the division and they are a top three seed in the AFC, how does he not win the MVP? When you factor in, like he just has two things that happen to him during the season and to keep the team together. It's just like other guys are just not going to have that in the bag. And it's it's kind of just one of those. They say the MVP in basketball is a lot with narratives and stories. Like it, it would be an incredible story to keep the Raiders. You lose your coach. But again, non-football wise. And then for this to happen, and I, I, I hate to admit this, but I, I couldn't help myself because I saw TMZ tweet the video of Ruggs on the, you know, they had live video right after it happened and he's on the on the curb with his girlfriend kind of swearing and crying and I, I, I didn't want to do it, but I, I couldn't help myself and it's just, I'm sure they all are going to see it and then when you find out him telling, I mean, it makes sense, right? Henry was at Top Golf. Derek and Hunter play a lot of golf. Derek's a good player. Him taking video, sending it to those guys on a group text and clearly, I mean, they can just add it up. Three hours later, three and a half hours later, this happens. I mean, I even Derek kind of, uh, you know, articulated it yesterday. Like, listen, it, it was a little easier to compartmentalize the last time. This is a little bit harder. You know, this is he's it's like not I'm even in the locker. same realm. Yeah, it's not in the same world. So it's it's really it, you could tell they were uncomfortable. Him and Rich talking about like new opportunities it's just like it just yeah, feels it, a little it's well there was a question the, like are you gonna talk to zay jones about the opportunity for him now it's like no yeah no and even derek derek said it and i think you know for anybody uh you like we said it the other day when we talked about it like it's weird to be talking about this and football at the same time and derek said it he gets it but that's what we do that's what you do um well Derek, he's like i don't have a choice we have a game sunday right exactly. i mean we got to practice yeah i mean it's not one of those I think the hardest part about tragedy in general is anyone who's lost grandparents, lost friends, lost you know parents, lost whoever, that you don't know it's coming, it can rattle you. But once you've been through it, 
you, I, I don't think numbs the wrong word, but you realize like the sun comes up the next day, things keep happening and we all grieve differently. And you and I were talking a little bit about this yesterday, I think off, obviously we didn't do a podcast yesterday, but like you get to a point where every human being, if they, if they just kind of lock in compartmentalize can get through something, it's hard to get through several things and it's just going to be difficult. Like I, it might not catch up to them this weekend, but I do think it's going to be, it, there's going to be a week where you go, yeah, I was just bound to like, they just maybe lost focus during the week. And it's very understandable. Like sometimes when you lose focus during the week, you know, and you're a good team, you're like, well, they just lost to the Jags. You're like, well, they, they weren't really locked in this week. It's like, I get it. Like it shit happens. This one will be like, yeah, they just, we, we probably weren't as focused as we are. Our heads weren't in the right spot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the Gruden thing was, I don't know. I'm not trying to compare at all. Um, So I'll put it this way. The, the thing with football is you just, because the, because the sport is with anything you do, really anything you do at a very, very high level requires 100% of your attention and your detail and your energy and your emotion and football is no different. And when something happens that reminds you that the thing that you spend all of your time doing is not the most important thing in the world, when you get perspective, in some ways, perspective is a bad thing when you're trying to do something really hard because you yes. need to be in your bubble only focused on that thing. And so when it's, something- isn't it why football coaches often say like, wait, oh, it's election night, right? It's like they, I mean, yeah, they know, they- but they don't truly even care. Right. Like they forget what day they, they know the days of the weeks based on like, oh, well, Schedule. every Tuesday is an off day, but they don't yeah. know really what's Thursday's red day. zone day, Friday's third down day. You know, yes. <laughs> so when something happens, this horrible that brings a perspective and this kind of perspective, it's it makes it makes football hard. And, uh, you know, that's where I you just go back to Derek, who is. I thought he said some things that not everybody could say. Like, I think for some people, it'd be hard to say, you know what? Saban said some similar things. About? About, I think, what you're going to to cut you off. No, no, no. I I, I wish I'd watched Saban. But just like, not anybody can can feel comfortable enough to say, you know what? Henry is, Henry's the one that did wrong here, but I still love him. Right. Which is what Derek said. Yeah. You know, you're going to get some of the, well, how could you say that? What about the person that died? And you, you're trying to capture everything. And I thought he did a, a really good job of that while being, uh, I, I, that story rattled me as it probably, it makes everybody. Um, and I don't know any of the involved people. And so he's handled it really well. I think back to your point on, or were you going to say something on that? I was just going to jump to it. No, the MVP portion of this is even without any of what's going on around them. Who are the MVP candidates this year in the NFL? Derrick Henry out, Lamar Jackson, Lamar uh, Brady, Brady, Brady has twenty five touchdowns, and Kyler, be, uh, Matt Stafford's twenty two and four. His team might be the one seed. And I'd say, you know, Derek, from a football standpoint, is ma- like he's matching up with all those guys. Yeah. Right? But here, statistically, though, again, touchdowns aren't everything. But like Stafford and Brady have 25 and 22 touchdowns. Now Derek's coming off a bye. He has, he has 12. He has 12 touchdowns. I mean, like Stafford has 10 more touchdowns. Yeah. And a better but, record. But if this team, you know, 
No, if yeah. this team is the one or two seed in the AFC, his numbers will be there. Back to Henry for a second. Talking to people in the league with him coming out that scouted him. Character really high. Talking to people with the Raiders. They really liked him. Like he was like they valued him. I, I think when you have someone that you viewed as like this good kid and this guy with this bright future and was kind of coming into his own. And Saban was asked the same thing of like kind of kind of reiterated the message Derek gave of like, listen, this is an inexcusable action and he's going to pay the price. But like I, 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 I feel deeply for Henry, his life being ruined you know, and his family as a young daughter. Like we were talking a lot about Dante Stallworth when we, uh, when we did our podcast on Tuesday, cause everything was yeah. kind of fresh and the information was coming in as the information came out. It shows there's nothing in common. Like Henry Ruggs is going to do 10, 15 years in prison. Like this guy's going maybe more long. Th- yeah. I mean, cause we're talking about multiple, like the class B felony for the DUI illegal firearm. I mean, there's so much death. shit. Right, it's just one thing. There's driving 156 miles an hour. The 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 other thing is the the video I clicked on that I'm not proud of is the the visual in the background of the burning car and her being in there with her dog. Like there's just you just don't come back. There's, stuck. It, it's it's over. Right. That detail. His life that is people over. People tried now, to get her out, but she was stuck. And this is self inflicted. But it's just, I, if you know someone and you're close to them and you think they're a good person and then they ruin their life, that gets back to what I was talking about. It just would rattle you. And Derek's not alone. I mean, there's got to be other guys in the wide receiver room, his coaches. I mean, it's just, so his stats, maybe back to the MVP conversation, don't have to be quite as close. But he's he's pretty far off. Like, if he throws 30 touchdowns, and some of the other guys have 50, but they go 12 and 5. Like, would that be enough? I, he might probably, have to get a little higher. Probably right? not. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I and also they, think it's... And they're probably a little more inclined to run it, even with the new offensive coordinator. I mean, you know, their second best offensive player, beside the, you know, their quarterback, you know, it's Waller and Jacobs. If Jacobs healthy, and now that Drake looks good, you should run it. They don't have a great pass-blocking offensive line, so I think it's a little easier to do that. They have a lot of tight ends. And now without Henry, maybe their passing game is just going to be a little... like One thing Derek said, he's like, listen, he's like, I've never seen a guy practice harder than Zay Jones, but part of him practicing hard, Henry got every rep. Like He practiced like scout team and doing other stuff. Like Henry got the main reps, every single one of them, unless Henry got tired. So from a football standpoint, like there is just you know, a big drop off between Henry Ruggs. And like, if this doesn't happen, there's not a soul in, involved in football that would take Zay Jones over Henry Ruggs. Like there's a huge gap, right? Yeah. And that's yeah. no indica- indication on, like, turns out Zay Jones, like a solid backup. Rich was talking, he plays on special teams. I mean, Henry was a top, what do you say? Like immediate three deep threat in the league. Tyreek still won. He might be. Yeah. Two. I mean, he'd become one of the top big play receivers in the NFL already this year. And probably could get better at it. You know, I just listen to you talk. I think uh, Derek Carr is having an MVP season. Whether or not he wins an MVP, right? If this team is somehow able to, what he's worth to that franchise. Yeah, I agree. When they come to him with the, when they go to Mark Davis with the contract negotiation, it's going to be hard to argue on paper what Derek Carr is worth to the Las Vegas Raiders. 
This isn't the first. This is the most devastating in the line of things that he's had to deal with as the Raiders quarterback. It's different from all the other things. But the list of things that he's done as the Raiders quarterback and gotten better as a player, whatever it looks like this year, he's having an MVP level season for that franchise. Did you see him talk to like these little kids on their podcast that looked like he had them over to their house? You know, I only saw it just as I just literally got retweeted in my timeline. Yeah, he reiterated like the kid asked him, you know, you've said before you would only play for the Raiders. Are you really serious? He's like, I'm dead serious. I don't think he's joking. He's like, I got so much. I've already made so much money. I'll just play golf. Like, I don't want to play anywhere else. Now, if push ever comes to shove, you actually have to make like you're going to retire from the NFL when you're playing really well. If whatever so and so team wants you, that actually is pretty good. Like Sean Payton's on the phone with you. Like Derek, I I really believe in you or whatever the situation is. Right. We'll see. But like. It, it does feel that he's he's entrenched himself enough where, one, how would they ever upgrade? And two, like, how would they want another guy that's just passionate about their brand? Like, it doesn't this even... He's in, it seems he like is no invaluable to them. An organization that doesn't have that many people that stand up for them, right? And he's really he's invaluable. If they, and if they don't hire Rich, he's really one of the, you know, for some of these open jobs. Like, the Broncos job's open. The Broncos job, prestige-wise, it's just they've been more consistent over the, in our adult life than the Raiders, right? They have a lot of money. They just they're in in theory uh, stable, even though their owner they got some issues there. But like they have no quarterback. There's no quarterback on the horizon. Joe Judge gets fired. It's like, well, there's no quarterbacks to draft. We just fucking signed Jimmy Garoppolo. Like Derek, you could argue of all the jobs that are open is without question the most valuable asset on the you know well, coaching market. Yeah, let's say the Gi- let's say the Giants job opens, the Dolphins the Dolphins job opens, um the Texans job is open, Denver. Uh Denver. So you said Well, Fangio's going to get fired, right? Yeah, Denver. Um I miss who I'm sure surely I'm missing somebody, but Zimmer, Cousins, you see that guy the other night? Yeah, could be. I did. I did. Yeah. I mean, Derek makes the job Derek makes the job more attractive. And you just it's when you don't have to worry about your best player. Not only is he not a negative, he is a positive. I don't know how you MVP. I, I mean I, I threw some cash on him this weekend. Uh minus I two. I got it minus I think minus three. Okay. But it just it, it does feel watching them talk. They're going to go out there early. I, now, I, I do think it's going to catch up. There's going to be a week where maybe you're confident and they just lay an egg. Like, that is probably inevitable. Uh, but I, I could see this week they could get over. And they're playing the Giants who have a serious – they shut down the building today, guy. Shut down the building because of COVID outbreak. So they got their own issues. And they got a bunch of injuries. Saquon's already been out because he's hurt slash COVID. They they got a lot of problems. Like and the Raiders are, are play- off a bye. And, uh, yeah, they are playing a team that is just Waller's back, Jacob's back. What Wasn't that one thing Rich said yesterday is like, we're completely healthy? Yeah, clean. Clean practice. That's right. And he's yeah. got – he's on top of it. Like, I was I, 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 I was impressed with him. I You know, whatever. He's not trying to impress me, but – Cam Worrell, our buddy who played in the league, tweeted at me and or retweeted it and just said, you know, special teams coach coaches don't get enough credit, don't get enough looks to be head coaches. 
and it's probably true, right? They, you've been around them. Like they're, they're different. They're probably, they're creative people. They got some time, but uh, they're passionate by and large. Yeah. Special teams coaches are pretty passionate guys and they know their whole roster because they coach everybody. They have to, you know, they have to know everybody who can help them. Uh, I, don't know, I had nothing else to add to that other than I thought that was an interesting insight. Especially a lot of times they don't have the headset, so they're hearing everything that's going on on the sideline all game long. You know, they're looking, talking. They're on the, they are on the sideline. They're always looking people in the <laughs> eye, right? Yeah. And everything they do is high pressure because they only get a couple of shots a game to do their thing, right? You're the you're the offensive coordinator. You're going to get, I don't know, 60, 40 to 60, depending what league you're playing in. <laughs> Chances to 90. I mean, UCLA ran 90 plays against Oregon. But you're a special teams guy. You get like a few shots a game. There's a lot of pressure on a special teams play. Yeah. Punts, kicks, returns. It's just. It'd be nice to see uh, the 49ers all run a fake your, every once in a while. Your boy Trent Cannon's been catching the football. <clears throat> well, I mean, well, everyone catches kickoffs. Every, every, everyone now is just into the. Everyone catches kickoffs. Arms out. Uh, okay, so speaking of good head coaches, really good, really impressive, really well-respected head coaches, um, Jonathan Smith was on the show. And uh, what do you want to say? What should we say about Jonathan Smith? I mean, I've been around him for a few years. We know a guy that works for him. And uh, it's not uncommon that there are there are a lot of people in this business, in that business, that are very well-respected. But I would say one thing about Jonathan, he falls in the category of guy that people really like, that people say, oh, what a good dude. And there's no caveat where they're saying what a good dude because they don't have anything good to say about him as a coach. They're saying what a good dude. And on top of that, I think he's a really good coach. That's what a lot of people say. Yeah, I mean, I, I just swear by the guys that worked for Pete at Boise. And I know he, he worked for Pete longer at Washington, but he started at Boise. And I, I just think when you were involved in that operation, I buy stock in you. And I, I, it was the first time I had ever talked to him. But look at what Brian Harsons, who was an OC at Texas, comes, takes over Boise, and they, he kept Boise good, and now he's killing it at Auburn. Kellen Moore is crushing it right now. I mean, he's dominating. And, and to me, he was a player then, but he was like a player coach while he was on the team. You know, the way people talked about him, his dad was a famous coach. Kirby Moore, Kellen's brother, I've been told who's at Fresno State, people swear by him as like an up-and-coming guy. Uh, I'm sure I'm leaving some of them out, but who are, who are names? I mean, these guys just, they're successful. You know, Pete Kwiatkowski got a lot of credit, even though he was the co-DC at Washington. He's at Texas right now. Uh, has not become a head coach. I mean, Boise guys that preceded Pete, right? There was a line of really good head coaches. Houston Nutt, Dirk Cutter, uh, 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 Dan Hawkins. Of Justin Boise Wilcox, guys. the Boise guy. I mean, Justin I know Wilcox. You know, it's, it's they, oh, he's they, a good coach. I mean, he's a, he's good, a good, coach. good coach. Yeah, people people think very highly of him. Yeah, yeah. Um, to me, this is the closest. List. I would say Kellen and Jonathan. A lot of the guys has been have been defensive guys. I guess Harson is an offensive guy. Even though when you watch Harson talk, he feels like a former very. defensive end or something. He does not feel like an offensive guy. To me, when you talk to Jonathan or you watch Kellen Moore talk, they feel very Petey, Boise. Just that's what I think of. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm, and, I'm a huge fan. I, I want this guy to get the UCLA job, even though I know he loves his own job. But I just that would be badass. Yeah, he. Um, I think he could. 
you know, he's done a four year rebuild at Oregon State and they still got some stuff to do. They play Colorado this week looking for their six win, trying to get to six and three. But um, he has done a slow and steady and methodical rebuild at a place that's hard to win. And he's done it. And he came from UW where they were getting four star. He's getting four star. I think he recruited four, three four star quarterbacks at Washington, including Jake Browning, who was a four star. Didn't he take over the program when Gary Anderson, like week two or three, just quit? Yeah, I mean, he took over the year the year after that, not during well, the year. Yeah, I mean, he took over like at the end of the season or whatever. But that right. he took over a program that just had some weird shit going on, right? Yeah, coach just up and left. Corey Hall took over. What happened? And that's what he Do walked. You remember into. the reasoning behind that? Somebody, no, there were, never really was any clear reasoning. Although somebody just wrote an, a college football writer just wrote an, a Gary Anderson article the other day because um, he's he's done it twice, I think, up and left, like, like a left more money on the table. Like him and the AD weren't on the same page type. You know, thing. I don't, he's never, there's never been, I don't think it was that, but I don't know. Um, but so Jonathan I'm takes out. over and yeah, Jonathan takes over and they were bad and then they got less bad and then they got good. And, and now they're really good. So uh, yeah, we're, I've been picking the beeves, big fans of the beeves. You went and saw him play the other day at Cal. And uh, here's our conversation with Jonathan Smith on the pod. John, let's welcome Jonathan Smith, the head coach of the Oregon State Beavers, the number one scoring offense in the Pac-12, seventh in the nation in rushing. They got the number one runner in the pack. They got the number one tackler in the pack. They um, play Colorado this week, and win number six would be the best uh, nine-game start for the Beavs since 2013. Their coach is in his fourth year, and he's a Beave, and he's a walk-on, which they didn't have the Burlsworth trophy back when you played, coach, or you would have had a shot at that thing that – Baker Mayfield's won a couple times, and you got a guy up for it this year too. So welcome. Yeah, thanks, guys. So you talk about that, Jaden Grant. I think is up for that, and uh, he's worked real hard. And yeah, it's a uh, he's a good one, and we feel like we got some good things going. But we got a, another big game this week. You know what's when we see? I mean, you're a younger guy, young offensive coaches. I would say in 2021, we think passing the ball. Uh, but in the NFL, I mean, in our backyard, Kyle Shanahan and all his minions throughout the league are, are run-first guys. It seems like you, you know, do you consider yourself a run-first offensive coach or is it just the personnel that you have at the school right now? I'd like to think it was run-first, you know, and some background that I've done offensively, we do want to find ways to run the ball. Didn't always do it exactly the same way. Um, I will tell you, Brian Lingering heading up our offense and, he, he's been about uh, running the ball and complementing that run game with some play-action pass and formationally. And so we feel like we have established an identity. Each year we've been here kind of building toward an offense that can score a lot by running the ball, and, and Brian's doing an awesome job with it. And each year gotten better on defense. I think that's the thing that has really stood out, right? When you got there in 2018, Oregon State was 129th in defense, 46 yeah. points a game. You guys are 26 and a half points per game now, 20 points better. It's gotten better every year. Are there ever times when you're building a program the way you've been doing it that you you wonder, like, is this working because the because the road is long? Yeah, it it's not easy. Like you mentioned in that at, at where we started at for year one, um, having really the confidence enough to know that you feel like your approach is correct, the scheme you're implementing will, will work when you're not seeing the immediate success. And uh, that's why I appreciate our, our staff. You know, we've had some great continuity on our staff, tried to establish things year one that we would build off of, and, and it's played out that way. I think schematically, offense, defense, special teams, we're doing similar stuff year uh, four that we were doing year one. 
You know, I, I didn't know much about your personnel coming into the season. I remember, uh, I think you guys, late at night, you played USC several weeks ago, and, and your running back, B.J. Baylor, I just went, holy moly, this kid's a player. And I text a guy on your staff, and he, he told me the recruiting story. I, I, maybe you beat out Liberty or whatever school. Part of the cool part about, you know, being the head coach at a program like yours is you're not always getting the five-star guys. I mean, you were getting some diamonds in the rough, but then you produce them into guys that potentially have an NFL future. How good is this guy, and what was his story from a recruiting standpoint? Yeah, B.J. Um, is a good player. B.J.'s been here. He was here before I even arrived. And so you asked the recruiting story on him. I don't totally know. I just know he was in our program. I give him a bunch of credit because in this day and age, it's not easy to kind of have to wait your turn. And he kind of needed to do that. We had another back last year. Jamar Jefferson had some big-time numbers, had a couple of big-time years, and he's playing for the Lions now. And, you know, BJ's turn was this year, and he's he's taken advantage of it. Um, kept working throughout, and, and now his skill set uh, physically, but he knows the scheme, um, and, he's, and it's, he's having a great year. He wasn't on the recruiting board at, when you were at Washington? I don't remember him on that board, <laughs> uh, I'll be honest. <laughs> How did you get when you were at Washington? Do you how do you recruit? Um, do you recruit regionally? Do you recruit positionally? What do most people do? How do you guys do it? You know, what we're we're we want to be in the Pac-12 footprint, heavy amount. We're never going to say no if we have some type of connection across the country outside of that. But majority of our stuff's going to be in the footprint of the Pac-12. We've had some success in Texas, and again, some of that had come from a connection to a coach, and then we've we've gotten into similar schools after signing a guy or two. Um, we do uh, have areas for our coaches, but then the you know the position coach becomes the really the lead recruiter on that, and then I try to complement that um, as the process goes along. You were just at a De La Salle game, right, the night before the Cal game. I was, yeah. I was. How do you how do you balance that as the head coach? You know, when you're traveling, you know, especially in the Pac-12, like you said, the footprint. You always try to hit a game with a kid that you're interested in, or it depends. Yeah, I try to do that. Uh, at the same time, being in a limited distraction to our current team, obviously we're getting ready to play a game the next night. Uh, I, I do feel like our team, our roster currently knows that recruiting's 24-7. you got to be doing it all the time. And so they're aware. didn't change our schedule at all for me to be able to see uh, some game and then get back for an evening meeting. And so anytime I get a chance to see somebody in person play, I, I love it. To not just see the recruit, but I love high school football and the atmosphere is that that are at games, and so I, I try to do it a bunch. Do you pick any? Uh, do you pick up any tricks and plays and that kind of thing when you're watching? Oh, heck yeah. yeah, Not just when you're in person, but you watch all this high school film. You know, there's some good ideas on, and there's some good coaches at, at the high school level. And so, anytime we can steal something, we're going to do it. Uh, I think like people, where, where did where? Sorry, John. John, I was going to say, where did this play come from? Two years ago, up at the screen, you've got a guy in a black uniform lying down in a black end zone secretly. Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't think you can uh, do this anymore. You guys. Yeah, they changed the rule on that. And that's, again, that wasn't definitely not my uh, original thought. We ran the same thing at UW um, when I was at Washington. Actually, we were playing Oregon State. Here in the stadium, we ran the same thing with a, a, one of the returners laying down and threw it back to him. You know, you're talking to two Fresno State guys that had a front row seat on a guy named Chris Peterson running trick plays till oh, yeah. the cows come home. I mean, to me, that's got a Boise influence written all over right there. <laughs> yeah. That's what it's probably was, Coach Pete. He, he was. He's creative offensively, uh, never shy to try try something fun. And, and I think the players like that. When you practice something, it's a little bit different, and, and you actually get it called and executed. It's, it's, ad, it's, a, it's fun. 
How did you get connected with Chris Peterson to Boise? You were uh, you were at what, Idaho, Montana, so, and then Boise. Yep, I was at Montana at the time. I had known Coach Pete not well, just kind of met him because he was actually the receiver coach at Oregon when I was the quarterback here at Oregon State. Um, and we had a, a mutual uh, kind of friend. Um, but it was a little bit out of the out of the ordinary. I got a call when I was at the University of Montana. They were looking for a quarterback coach and uh, went down there and, and interviewed and and was obviously fortunate enough to, to land the job. Uh, and then he's made a huge impact on my coaching career and philosophy uh, spending six years with the guy. You know, I, I don't think you're alone, but is it safe to say that going to Boise State changed your career? Oh, yeah, without question. And, and, you know, Boise was a great place and program, but ultimately it was really Chris Peterson, that staff, uh, changed it. I learned a bunch, um, got exposed to, I think, some elite coaching and culture building and vision uh, by him. And he's, that's really put an imprint on, on me as a coach now. I remember Bruce Feldman wrote a story about him, and it's, this is a question about offensive coordinators becoming head coaches a few years ago. And one of the things I think he said was that he was a little hesitant to take over the head coaching job at Boise because all he ever wanted to do was just draw plays on napkins and call plays and be left alone. So then, you know, you, you become a play caller. Then you get a head coaching job. And what like what do you try to hang on to play calling? Like what do you do and how do you let it go? And how does that change your enjoyment of the game? Oh, yeah, it changes it quite a bit um, because I don't. I don't call plays here, Brian, and that's offensive staff contributes a ton to the plan, and Brian calls the plays, and, and I am do. There's times I miss it because uh, I really enjoyed that part and being able to just kind of focus in on game planning and, and thinking through when you're going to want to call plays and that. Uh, I just felt like when I did become the head coach, um, to give it my best effort to do the best job I could as a head coach, I couldn't hold on to that, to that part, and so – you got to try to surround yourself with some really good people. We've been able to do it, and those guys on offense have been doing a great job. And and so I, I stand on the sideline and watch it. How do you, you make the court? Yeah. Do I miss it? But you miss it a little bit. Oh, 100%. And Brian knows that, but yeah, 100%. <laughs> How do you, you know, when you have a, uh, you know, the offensive or defensive coordinator, the head coach is that side of the ball – is it incumbent on you to make that guy feel secure, like you're not kind of overlording him, but also you are the boss? How, how do you? I'm fascinated. How do you balance that? Well, for a couple of Fresno guys, so I think Jeff Tedford had uh, as good an insight on that because I asked him about that kind of thing, and he just said, you know, either you're going to be in it or you're out. Don't occasionally pop in. When you walk into the room, it changes the dynamic, and so I try to create some space for him. Um, I try to give them some ideas once in a while, but really emphasize that they can choose when they want to use them just because the head coach is saying it doesn't have to be in the plan. Um, and it's been great. Me and Brian have known each other for a long time. Sometimes he wants some feedback and I'll give it to him. Uh, but I don't try to be one foot in, one foot out, really letting them, those guys uh, come up with plans. Was that with Pete with you also at Washington? How, how was that relationship? A little different. <laughs> uh, no, he was great. He really was. Uh, because I, I asked him. I wanted him to be around because, let's face it. The he's guy's, pretty good. You know, <laughs> He's good at it. Yeah, he's creative. And so, uh, no, he was, he was great to work for. He'd throw ideas at you. Um, he'd see trends in whatever we were doing or a particular player and saying, hey, I'm not seeing it the same way you're seeing it. And so – he was awesome to have input um, pretty consistently. You guys had an first... offense. Oh, go ahead, John. Yes, sir. no, fire away, guy. 
I was just going to ask you guys. You guys had an offense in Washington that was with Dante Pettis and John Ross and the college football playoff. And like, did it feel like everything you called that year worked? That was a pretty good year uh, when you had that kind of talent um, at receiver. But our old line, we had draft picks at old line. Miles Gaskin was carrying the ball along with Levon Coleman. Jake Browning, the quarterback, was you know just a winner, uh, decision maker, accurate. So yeah, those were some. So there's some fun times. It's almost like you got to appreciate that stuff when it's going on because, you know, you get in this coach's mentality. It's like, oh, on to the next week. And, oh, we could have done this better. We scored 48 points, but we could have done this and that. You know, I wish I would have enjoyed that a little bit more on the week to week. At the end of it, yeah, looking back, it was fun. When I got hired with the Eagles, Sean McDermott was on the staff, and he actually reminds me a lot of you, like your Boise, Chris Peterson, very intellectual. He's the head coach at, with the Bills. And he was always so fascinated by what was going. He always asked, "Well, what was in the water?" And that was that was like 2010, 11, right at the time in the peak. And you came right then, right after Kellen Moore. Clearly, you guys, you had that at Boise, and then you guys took it to Washington. And it feels like you're implementing a lot of what. What is that? Like, what? What is it that? And I know you say it's Chris Peterson, but clearly, a lot of your guys you see with Wilcox, Harson's having a lot of success now at Auburn, like. You guys just kind of understand something. I don't know whether it's the people, the player. I don't know. I don't. It's more than just scheme, clearly. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, people matter, meaning the elite coaches. There's a bunch of them, but getting that combination of elite coach to elite uh, person, you know, the day-to-day for your uh, culture, how they treat, uh, you know, this idea of a constant state of improvement. There's always another way to think about it, a better way to do it. Had uh, been ingrained from Coach Pete that I think – a lot of those guys you mentioned uh, are doing a great job and are really, really sharp. Um, and so, you know, I think, too, this idea of simplification, you know, and, and Pete would talk a lot about that in regards to it's almost like the greatest sign of sophistication is simplification. And if you look at some of the best offenses out there, you turn on the tape and oftentimes it looks pretty simple. It doesn't look overly, uh, but there's a lot of detail that goes into into that and so if you can simplify things for your players they're going to play a whole lot faster and oftentimes if the players are playing fast you you got a chance to that end mike tomlin said something yesterday about how hard free agency can be if you get a guy young you can kind of build them up in your own system and set a, a, a set expectations for them and that free agency becomes a bit of a crapshoot um you know so when you are building that culture like now the portal arrives yeah. And there's all these opportunities. And what do you do? Like, do you resist it even if you think there's a fix or how do you balance that? Yeah, it is. It's a fine balance because we do want to be able to you know, pride ourselves as a program of developing players when they arrive and they leave. They're just way better. And so hopefully you shouldn't have multiple years with them. At the same time, there's some good players in the portal. There's some times each year that, yeah, you mean need some depth, need a better player, a difference maker at a particular position. And so we're trying to balance that. We've been in the portal um, and had some success with some of the guys. Uh, I think the, the big piece is you're always trying to find the right fit, whether we're talking about a freshman coming in or a kid with one year as a senior in college, the fit your place that, you know, are about about playing football and a good dude to be around and, and wants to finish school with a degree. When you're the head coach in college, you're kind of, you know, Bill Belichick, you're the GM and the head coach, right? I mean, there's not a guy 
Ocho Cinco comes through that program, it's because yeah. you signed off on it, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's part of the role of you know overseeing of who you're adding to your roster and and coaching and the football in the scheme and uh, which is a great thing. That's why I go back to it's a big job. There's a lot going on. Um, you got to surround yourself with some some big time coaches, and I think we've done that. What was Ocho? I mean, what was Chad like when he showed up? He was uh, competitive, uh, funny, obviously, uh, personality, but kind of harmless. Like, you know, he just had a good time. He loved to compete in practice. Always thought he was open. Every play, tell me if he didn't get the ball, it was like I was wide open. Um, and he uh, he's done really well for himself beyond just playing. I text guy this morning. I said, "Was Jonathan Smith the quarterback of one of the most famous games in Fresno State history when they when they upset him at Fresno State and uh, David Carr was on Sports Illustrated?" Yep, vividly remember it. Got <laughs> hit quite a bit, and you know we Sports Illustrated picks this number one. We're not. We lost so many players the year before, but whatever. Uh, yeah, and then you go in there into Fresno at their place at night. Walk down that ramp. Walk yeah. down. People are screaming at you. Oh, it's a tough place to play, man. And they were good. I mean, they had some players at the time, quarterbacks, uh, really good. I mean, that was that was a tough night. They beat Colorado and Wisconsin. Those were their first three games. Colorado preseason number one, Oregon State, Wisconsin. Yeah. Anywhere, right? What was Pat Hill saying? Any, yeah. Anybody, anywhere, anytime. Yeah. yeah. You you guys have a little bit, you know, you're a Power Five program, but relative to the Pac-12, you know, you wouldn't, I guess, be considered USC or Oregon. You kind of bring that mindset from being with Pete at Boise. It feels like you brought that to Washington and you, you know carried it over to what you're doing now. Yeah, I think there's huge benefit to chip on your shoulder, um, no back down, um, and I like that mentality to play with, and you know whether it's the school and where the, their place in the conference type thing. I just think ultimately any of it is uh, you want to play with a chip on your shoulder that you know nothing's going to be given to you. you got to go earn it. We talk about – we talk a lot. So we talk about quarterbacks a lot because that's what you talk about. And the state of quarterback play, whether it's in the NFL, draft prospects, high school guys. I've talked to a lot of different people about it. John has too. Whether it's, you know, less multi-sport athletes or um, well, whatever. I, I don't know the guys playing earlier. You played early. We went back and looked in 2000, the year that, that you guys went and you were the Fiesta Bowl MVP, the Pac-12 co-champs. There were 17 guys in college football that completed 60% of their passes. 17. This Ooh. year, there's 82 or 60% completion rate. And yet, it seems just as hard to find quarterbacks as it ever was. I don't know. What's your, what, I don't know, what's your view on the state of quarterback play? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it the same as it's always been? Um, yeah, I, I know the schemes getting run offensively. 20 years ago comparison to now your completion percentage better be higher i mean like we did a lot of three-man route there's no check down i I didn't throw a bubble screen i think my whole career you know of some of these quick hitting completion type plays so the scheme's quite a bit different um and look it i don't know if it's any worse uh maybe it's hard to separate the elite guys now because you can get muddled down and a lot of guys can, can complete a lot of passes and schemes that are getting run right now. Uh, so I, I don't have a great answer for you. Uh, I do think there's some good quarterbacks out there um, that are playing and, and even in our league, I think there's some quality play getting, getting done, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I just know. I wish I would have completed more than 50% of my passes. <laughs> Do you think it's easier to evaluate quarterbacks coming out of high school? Like when I was in high school, we ran the wing tee. 
you know, and, and now I, I can't even imagine on the West Coast, and that was in Sacramento, even exists really. Most teams are, you know, I guess maybe De La Salle, but most schools are throwing the ball. So when you're evaluating a quarterback, I remember Andy Reid told me about Mahomes. He's like, he was actually a really easy player to evaluate. I just took out all the quick screens and evaluated all the throws, and he had a huge index of those throws. So you can just, you get, instead of just evaluating 15 throws in high school, you get to evaluate maybe 35 if you remove some of the quick screens. Yeah, I, I do think there's more to evaluate nowadays because, uh, one, they're throwing the ball more. Uh, a lot of times these guys are doing the, the seven-on-seven. They got the quarterback trainer, whoever they're developing or working with. Um, they're playing sometimes these seven-on-seven outside of their own team, and so they're just repping more, and there's more to, more to see there on tape. Um, I'll still go back. I think these things like an educated guess because uh, it's not easy. To, to evaluate, there might just be more tape to, to do it off. How did you not get a camp invite? Like in 2021, you would have got a camp invite, right? I I didn't. Yeah, I called it good. I, I knew I wanted to get into coaching. I didn't go to like the pro day in the NFL for at, on campus here or anything. Um, did I you go to your didn't. own pro day? No, I didn't. I, I was just ready to get into coaching. That's really why I came to Oregon State. I wanted to get into coaching and you know, sometimes I look back on that and go like, yeah, was that the best decision? Well, it is what it is. Um, so that's why I didn't I didn't have an agent. I didn't work out the pro day. I dove right into to coaching. You've lived, lived a pretty good football life in terms of being a, from the West Coast. You know, your last three jobs, Montana, which is one of the absolute gems in America from a football totally. standpoint. Totally. Boise, a football factory. And then you dub with Pete, and now a head coach. You're what, forty-one years old? Like that's, yeah. I've seen. A, we've all looked at a lot of bios. The guys moving around a lot farther than that. Yeah, yeah. I do. I do. I feel fortunate that way because, uh, you know, growing up in Southern California, but to come to school here, I've been in the Northwest more than half my life now, um, and we've really enjoyed each stop. Uh, been around some big-time coaches and people, and had a blast doing it. Um, feel like this place fits me pretty well in regards to opportunity to be in this conference. You can, you can win here, uh, but there's quality of life for my family. I got three kids now. And so, uh, yeah, fortunate. Uh, I know I'm going to have to continue to keep on winning a couple games to be able to main stay, stay here. Uh, but so far so good. Did you well, win a national title at Montana? No, we won, We lost in the semifinals. Uh, awesome place. Awesome. You know, Washington Grizzly stadium had a bunch of, great players, coaches, uh, won the big sky, and we ended up losing the semifinal to Sam Houston. Jonathan, we'd love talking to you. We appreciate it. Keep it rolling. Big Beans yeah. fans here on the show, so thank you. It's good to, good to have you. Good luck, yeah, man. I appreciate you guys, man. Well, next time I'm in Fresno, what's it called? The Doghouse? Yeah, you, you, uh... tri-tip sandwich. Yep. Was there when you know, before recruiting went dead for COVID. I was out there. God, I got to get back there. It was good. John, let's take a moment and tell the people about Overland. Overland.com slash ham where you can get deliciously comfortable and well-made they're not edible slippers for your feet what a gift what a gift to you or a gift to somebody else i'm glad they're not edible because i eat them but i don't have to eat them i just wear them overland.com slash ham i love my slippers they keep you warm they're very durable they have this like rubber sole that i can wear outside if i ever want to go pick up a you know, throw the trash away or go get the mail. Uh, yep. They're good. very, very comfortable. They're very, very warm. Uh, the sheepskin, they're they're just well-made. I'm, I'm I'm blown away. They're my favorite slippers I've ever owned. Better, oh. better than any Uggs pair that I've ever owned. No bullshit. Oh. 
Ooh, Overland, a family-owned heritage brand that's put its comfort and quality first for nearly 50 years. They've got all kinds of other stuff, like super warm coats, gloves, oh, yeah. home decor, all made from sustainable natural fibers like sheepskin, leather, and wool. Overland uses expert craftsmanship to pair the highest quality merino sheepskin, which is naturally moisture-wicking, temperature-regulating, and antimicrobial with supportive memory foam midsoles in order to make slippers that feel better and wear better for longer. Overland.com slash ham. Go get them. Overland.com slash ham. Podcast also brought to you by Puesto. Oh, 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 oh. Puesto, Mexican artisan kitchen and bar where the food is more consistent than their favorite team, the 49ers. It is always delicious. It is always great. You got so many great options, John. Go eat some Puesto. Yep. Go to Puesto, one in Concord, one in Santa Clara. If you live in Southern California, it started in La Jolla. Uh, it's just fantastic tacos. If you want to go on Tuesdays, they have this little deal called Taco Tuesdays. And what happens is after 3 o'clock, tacos are half off, guy. Half off tacos. Think how many tacos you can eat for half off. Incredible deal. Uh, can't recommend it enough. Also, if you're going to the 49er game this weekend, play the Arizona Cardinals. They also play next week on this little thing they like to call Monday Night Football, which the Mannings are taking this week off. They're coming back for that thing. So I'm mm. excited for that. What are we going to watch? Yeah, I mean... Both the third podcast, the ham, uh, the ham stream, Monday night football, uh, sections one ten and one twenty nine. So get on it. Uh, my, I've said it all the time. My personal favorite: the quesadilla, the crispy melted cheese, the braised short rib, the Jalisco salsa, pickled radish, classic guacamole. You can also get the uh, perfect puesto guacamole, which when we went with our guy Devin from Tito's. Uh, we got that as a side because it has the uh, Parmigiano Reggiano in it. It's fantastic. We also got the. Uh, uh, Taquitos, which are oh. tacalongo. They're not taquito. They are tacalongo, largo. Sorry. Uh, plus, they got so many great margaritas, uh, like the Bang Bang Margarita, over 500 tequilas and spirits. Like John said, half off tacos every taco Tuesday from 3 to 5, plus happy hour, which is every Monday through Friday from 3 to 5, which has great drink specials. And you go on a Tuesday, you can stack up the happy hour special drinks and the taco Tuesday half off tacos. So, uh, go have a good time. SoCal, Northern California, in Levi Stadium, 110-129, Puesto. Puesto, Puesto, Puesto. But we're going to dive into now, John, the return. George Kittle, as of Thursday, I saw some video from some of the Niners reporters. He's out there catching passes. He gets through the practice, good to go. He's expected to play on Sunday. So we expect him to play on Sunday. And that would be a big deal for this 49ers team. Yeah, I, mean, I, I was talking to someone who was at the Bears game who works in the NFL and said you this was the first half and his text message was like you can really feel their lack of George Kittle. In the second half obviously the run game got going. I don't know if you saw like Orlovsky and different people were tweeting some of the sweet yeah. run plays and it's badass. Right? But when you add a third element, right? Cuz it's it's Dwelly in there, but instead of Dwelly you get Kittle Juszczyk and Trent Williams combined are what's Trent's been to eight Pro Bowls. Juszczyk's been to five. I mean, we're talking 13 Pro Bowls. And someone in my sponsors is like, stop using Pro Bowls to validate their their talent. They don't mean anything. I'm like, yeah, I'm talking about two guys that are true Pro Bowlers, right? Trent Williams is a first ballot Pro Bowler. Juszczyk is the only Pro Bowl fullback. Like, you, you know what I mean when I'm talking about these guys. I'm not using them to talk about Alex Smith. You know, it's just, I don't want to look up their all pros. Like, they're elite players, right? But when you add Kittle, who's the best blocking back, 
They, uh, I saw today right before we hopped on, Elijah Mitchell is practicing. So he's going to play this week. Fred Wilson Jr. is back, so they're getting some running back reinforcements. And he was a good player. So you just get better at running back where Elijah Mitchell in some of those clips were like, he's made for this scheme. If yeah. the Niners could get a redo on Trey Sermon, they would do a redo because they got their starting running back. But you add George to this for their run game, which is already kind of clicking, it's going to be better. And then, like, let's face it, he's a huge help in the passing game, even if he only catches five to six balls on a given game. It's usually like five for 70, right? With one of the plays being a 20-yarder, but where he takes a guy for a ride for like seven yards and kind of sets the tone, and then he does this, scoops his mouth, and the fucking team gets going, right? You just miss his, you know, just his violence, his ferocity, his... One, he's just an easy target for Jimmy because he's closer, right? Jimmy can be a little hit or miss down the field, you know? Yeah, and he's big. I mean, he's Look, we're talking about one of the leading receivers in the NFL. Yeah, he's, I mean... Right? I mean, he's Trent, Trent Williams, Nick Bosa, and George Kittle are the most talented guys on this team. Especially if you factor in, like, you know, people are a little down on 54 who's having, you know, hit or miss season. But I think I do think it's a little harder when you got bodies all over you, you know, than... He doesn't just get to run free. I, I'm, I'm defending. Uh, we lose Haberman. I don't know where guy went. Am I on solo right now? Haberman, where'd you go? Guy, where'd you go? I actually just closed the browser. It wasn't even nothing failed. I just closed it. Anyway, but you got bodies all over you. Uh, yeah, so it's just, you got three players, you know, Fred Warner being down that, you know, are, are you're very dependent on their success, right? When Trent Williams is playing, as you saw those clips, he's tossing bodies. The, the clip that Orlovsky, that didn't get enough credit, he didn't just grab Roquan, he then threw him to the ground. <laughs> I mean, it went viral, like Trent Williams is by far the best left tackle in the league. Yeah. Well, Nick Bosa has been an elite, no doubt about it, pro bowler this year. Like, you don't even need to look at a box score. You just watch him play. You're like, holy fuck, this guy's everywhere. And that's George. And let's face it, like, he is kind of injury prone now. So I, we've talked about this earlier. This Like, are you confident that he's just got the rest of the season in him? You know, it's just the way he plays, he gets banged up. They, they have to find a way to just get him to play every week because they are, if they want to make a comeback on this thing, which they can, because the Vikings, I think, play the Ravens this week. Like they, they could, the Vikings could just get knocked out. That seven spot could be wide open. Yeah, and you really just might have to get to nine. Well, and part of the whole like Kittle has effectively two years left on his contract, right? Like this is year two, sixteen million dollar cap at each of the next two years. So what you said, like, even though we are talking about it in, in the the mindset of winning right now, winning right now, winning next week, winning next week. This guy is also pretty critical, I'd say, to the development of your quarterback. Like somebody asked me, um, you know, you just talk about how do you get this team better for the future? Well, one of the things is, and we talk about it all the time, if you're going to have a quarterback, you have to, a young quarterback, part of your job is to surround that quarterback with people that are good. Part of the reason Trent Williams is worth the money he's worth, right, part of what can make him worth the money he's worth is if he's protecting Trey Lance. If Trey – if if, if um, Trent Williams is making his money protecting Jimmy Garoppolo on a sub 500 football team. That's not really getting you anything, but if you're 500 and it's about getting Trey Lance ready for his future as an NFL quarterback, it's a big deal. Like I would say, looking back, the Raiders spent a ton of money. Remember 
and draft capital on protecting Derek Carr early in his career. And it worked. Now, Derek's, you know, time goes on. You can't, you don't keep Rodney Hudson. You lose guys. It's part, now it's on him to elevate the team with not as good of an offensive line. But early in a guy's career, and Kittle's the same way. Like, part of what makes Kittle potentially worth his money is if he's there every day for Trey Lance, every day for Trey Lance in the run game, every day for Trey Lance in the pass game. Like, this is part of the next two years of Trey Lance's development, The critical, some critical years for the 49ers. Yeah. Is George Kittle being there healthy to help him? Is Debo Samuel being there healthy to help him? Is Juszczyk being there, right? Is Ayuk being I, there? I, I would sign – one thing I would do this offseason once you get rid of Jimmy's money and you got a little wiggle room with some extra cash, to me, another tight end to go with George. You know, like a Zach, like Zach Ertz, a free agent. Could, you know, can I get him one year for – Eight million dollars, nine million dollars, you know, something like I, I'm in I'm in the acquisition business of of some firepower that is closer. Like I, I'm not gonna go buy an outside wide receiver. I've already invested in that. I'm not saying don't maybe draft a guy in the second or third round, but I, I am getting another tight end who who yeah. can who can help in the passing game because they are a quarterback's best friend. And who can take some pressure off of Kittle. And take some pressure off of Kittle, yeah. Look at I mean, look at the three young quarterbacks that crushed it. Really four, but Lamar Jackson, his best, you know, receiving target has been Mark Andrews. Obviously, Mahomes, Kelsey's a Hall of Famer, and uh, and Josh Allen, Dawson Knox has been awesome. And even, you know, uh, Herbert. I mean, he's got two sweet wide receivers, but Keenan Allen runs routes closer like a tight end, right? And he Keenan had Hunter Henry, and he had Hunter Henry, but to me, Keenan Allen does like t- like he operates like a tight end. He's got he tight end tendencies, John. <laughs> yeah, he's he's working guys, you know. Yeah, yeah, big big targets, guys that can help you erase mistakes, imperfection. Exactly. You think? Do you think uh, Tedford walked by Wilcox like, bro? You you need some Keenan Allen's, bro. Go get yourself a Marshawn. A Marshawn and a Javid Best and a Shane Vereen. Yeah. And a CJ Anderson. And a Mitchell Schwartz and an Alex Mack. Yeah. And a Kendrick's brother. Which one do they have? Michael yeah. or and Eric. a Cam and a Cam Jordan. Like they had a lot of NFL talent. <laughs> you want to win ten games, you need NFLers. Yeah. And Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. And Aaron Rodgers. So anyway, I, I you know that was short lived. They had a lot of shitty ones too. Yeah, they missed some opportunities. But um, anyway, that's one of the big things you want. It's easy to find things to watch watch for in that game this week. But that would be one of them, John. That would definitely be one of them. I li- I, I think the Niners win. I, I think they win potentially convincingly if Cardinals are in shambles. Uh, AJ Green COVID list. Hopkins Cliff said earlier this week. I mean, he, and he doesn't practice that often either. But he often plays that hamstring, which kind of uh, clearly got tight last week. I don't think he's going to play. Edmonds is banged up. Kyler's been in a boot. I mean, obviously, JJ's out. Like, it's just kind of hitting them all at once. You know, I mean, these are important fucking players, right? Yeah. AJ Green's making a ton of plays for them. Hopkins is just a touchdown machine. Kyler is a star. Like, you can't, you you hit a, the Niners have hit this several times. Like, you go into a game and just for whatever reason, you're missing seven of your best 10 guys. Like, you're just going to lose. You know, if you don't, then Cliff Kingsbury's just coach of the year. Like the Niners lose this game. Like I'm sorry. Like I, I just well with Cliff, all those guys out, would losing this game be worse than losing to the Bears? Yes, because at least you're like, well, Justin Fields is the best game of a just pro. Made some plays. Like, yeah, yeah. It's like, exactly. oh, Colt McCoy and Cliff Kingsbury beat you with who? 
Yeah, I mean, Rondale Moore was their best wide receiver. They had to bring a couple guys from practice squad and some other random guys on defense. You'd be like, what? Yeah, because you'd say, guys, you just got this gift that you needed. You needed this. It was like when we were watching the Dolphins last week going, oh, Tua, for this 14 parlay, will you just throw a pick six? And then Tua throws a pick. That was almost a pick six. It's a prayer. These the, When you need it, it doesn't happen all the time. And they've two got te- it right now. Two, two teams that are kind of in shambles got gifts. And you have no excuse not to take advantage of it. The Chiefs and the 49ers. Like it's, wait, we don't get uh, Kyler Murray and Aaron Rodgers? You know, it's okay. I text somebody with the Chiefs like, yeah, I'm not complaining about it. Right? I mean, they're, they're not like, you know, shucks. We would have loved to see, get uh, all the Chiefs fans to see Aaron. Yeah. You want to see your team win. Uh, Avatar Singh says, when things start going bad for the Cardinals, it explodes, never stops. History. It's true. I mean, when things go bad for the Cardinals, they... The Cardinals' lows are low. Still think, uh, yeah, I still stand by. It's going to be very, very difficult, even for an implosion, for them not to end up with 10 wins. And I just don't see, I don't see how 10 wins you're not dancing, right? Uh, Yeah, 10 wins you're dancing in the NFC. In the AFC, but in the NFC, you should be dancing with 10 wins. I think even in the AFC, 10 wins this year, because it doesn't feel like that many teams are going to win 13 games, right? The Rams... Like the Packers might not, depending on how long he's out. Rams, Rams, Tampa, probably 13-plus. Who in the AFC is winning 13 games? Well, why do you have to win 13 for for 10 to not make? I mean, just people have to win 11. Yeah, but, I, but I'm just getting like you have usually your powerhouse teams and then maybe like one team wins 11 and a lot win between that, you know, normally 9 and 7, 10 and 6 is like a sweet spot, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, you've got one, two, three, four, five, six teams right now that are. I, I actually, I won't even count Denver. I said it earlier: Cleveland, Kansas City, New England, the Chargers, the Steelers, the Bengals. So those six teams competing for three playoff spots in the AFC. The Bengals would be a double whammy this week because if they win, they'd be six and three, and they'd kind of knock Cleveland. The fuck yeah, out. I I think we can. I think Cleveland is in danger. Um. Cleveland now maybe Cleveland wins and they win their next four and then you know they and then maybe they're good they play the Bengals the Pats the Lions the Ravens but Cleveland might also lose and be four and five which doesn't eliminate you but there was a lot of a lot of pressure on this team this year and a lot of expectations and I still think they're a good team they you know they might even be better than they were last year but it's just not working for that right it's just like I'm watching I'm going it's just it's not I'm not saying they should change anything dramatic. I'm just saying it's not clicking and leading to wins the way it did for them last year. Now they got Odell's just home. By the time you listen to this, maybe he's on, I don't know, the Raiders or something. But You know that uh, a little different circumstances because the Browns have had a lot of injuries. If, if, If Baker's shoulder doesn't get hurt, if Nick Chubb never misses games, they're just, they're too... Too talented to not end up probably like ten and seven, and the Raiders the year after they made the playoffs just were not good, right? I watched the Browns. I mean, they're just dealing with a lot of injuries. I mean, they're playing with a guy that was in the AAF as a starting running back when they have the best starting backfield in the league. But it does feel a little bit like that anytime, like the Ravens, or the Steelers, or even the Patriots. Like, yeah, pressure. It's like we walk in the building. There's pressure. We win. That's we try to make the playoffs every year. Yeah. When you're a one-off playoff team, and the Browns were, right? They've made the playoffs one time in basically two decades. Everyone just puts them back in. And every once in a while, it's got to start somewhere, right? You just start making the playoffs, and you go out like Seattle did it. 
the Rams started doing it once McVay got there. But it shows you, like, more often than not, like, you can just be a one-off squad. And it's like, who knows, right? If they miss, they would just, you know, it's hard. And, and they, they're not – it's not like they have Lamar Jackson or Herbert be like, you know, at the end of the day, we're going to be – we got this guy for the next 10 years, we're always going to be in the mix. Like, I don't know. Like, you guys are already hesitant to give this guy any money. And now he's injured. Mm-hmm. And then think about this offseason. Baker has to have labrum surgery. That's usually one of those you're in the sling with the tennis ball for a long time. Like, it's not like, you know, he's going to get to work at OTAs. Like, I don't know. And I heard someone say, oh, I was listening to Sando with Rosillo, and he said, well, one thing that the the Browns have been good at is, like, disrespecting their players contract-wise, but making them still feel wanted separate from Odell. Like, get mo- the Niners used to be good at this with, like, Willis and Joe Staley. Like, they would never let him get close to free agency. They would pay him a lot in, like, a fake contract. While it was still a lot of money to them, it was always under market. They could just next year, Baker's on the fifth-year option, and then the following year, franchise, and the way it works out, like, two years, $50 million, so $25 million a year. You just kind of ride that out, which is probably what they're going to end up doing. Yeah, which is, you know, not a a great place to be. When when you are in a position to build, to really build something, you got the coach, right? Yeah. Well, we've got the coach. They've got, yeah, well, that's how they should think about it right now. I think they've got the coach. Impressive. They had this core. This was going to be a big year for them. This was going to be a big year for them. It's not done, but they just might lose to the Bengals this week because the Bengals. It's hard hard to trust them, though. I'm not trusting them. I'm just saying they're a fun watch. (laughs) Like they can just beat you, they can score. Yeah, they can score. And they're not terrible on defense. So, um, what, Aaron Rodgers? You heard about this story? No, what happened? So, I I was actually going to, we can talk about Aaron specifically, but I want to approach it from a Matt LaFleur standpoint. Matt LaFleur is 33 and seven in in his two and a half years as the head coach of the Packers. Do you know how many career wins? Do you know how many career wins Kyle Shanahan has? Uh, How many? 32. That's jarring, John. But Matt doesn't get talked about that way. Matt doesn't get talked about the way we talk about Kyle at his height. He doesn't get talked about like McVay. He doesn't really even get talked about like Stefanski. And it's because Aaron Rodgers is his quarterback. He gets discredited for it, which if you're him, you would take it. You'd rather people don't talk about you like a genius, but you got Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback. I think this is fascinating, though, this week and however long it is that Jordan Love plays for the Packers. What do they look like? Does Matt LaFleur... What? Because what is Matt LaFleur? I'm not even saying Matt LaFleur needs his respect. I'm saying I'm interested to see what Matt LaFleur looks like without Aaron Rodgers. Because one of the tenets of this offense, right? It's like, ah, eh, average quarterback, you'll be fine. And what's Jordan Love? I mean, I it has created, like the Aaron Rodgers story in and of itself is, is interesting, but it's created this other just pure football story about the Packers that I think is also really interesting. Well, here's the thing. When you evaluate a quarterback that's going to be a free agent or a draft guy, I, if you were a draft, if you were Ole Miss's quarterback, I'm watching you play Georgia. I'm watching you play Alabama. Those are the first two games. If I'm a general manager watching you play, if you're a free agent, I'm watching you play the best teams possible. If you're an offensive player, I'm watching you play the best defenses. Jordan Love doesn't get to control who he plays. Like he just this week is the Chiefs. I just Googled. <laughs> Uh, yards passing per game. There's only three teams that are giving up more yards per game in the air than the Chiefs. 
It'd be the Miami Dolphins, who are putrid on defense. Seattle, which has been a terrible defense for years, and the Texans, who are terrible. Then it's, then it's the Chiefs, giving almost 400 yards through the air game, 395. So you don't have to win. Like You can't control if Mahomes throws for five touchdowns and you lose 35 to whatever. But do you lose 35 to 10, or do you lose 35 to 25 and lead three sweet drives and show a bunch of attributes where you go... Think how many teams this offseason are going to need quarterbacks. Football team has none. None. Denver hates both guys already. The Texans do not have a quarterback. So I just named three that just came to my mind, right? Who knows? Dave Tepper might hate Sam Dolan by the end of the year. Well, could you trade this guy? Like, assuming that Rodgers, you're able to, you know, sign him to a long-term contract. Because before, it was like, well... There's no way you could probably even get a second for him. It's like no one's seen him play. He was a huge project. He couldn't even win the backup job. Now he gets to play an NFL game. Like he can make himself like kind of have the, like part of the reason Jimmy was so valued was because he had the start against Arizona and Miami. And you got to see it on the NFL field. You're like, God, this guy could be pretty good. I'm thinking less about what you could trade him for and more about could he be is could he become the guy that replaces Aaron Rodgers? It feels like Jordan Love's been in witness protection for five years, John. He's it's only, only a year. second second year in the league. He was drafted in 2020. But we think about quarterback like Aaron Rodgers more like Brady now, like he could play till he's 40 in his early 40s. He could, but he he already threatened to leave this last year or tried to get his way out. I, well, yeah, it gives you options. Maybe you can keep him if Rodgers needs to go. I'm just saying you don't have to decide that. You can just focus on Aaron. This guy's got th- two years plus a fifth-year option left on his contract. I hate to say you're holding him hostage, but you can basically hold Jordan Love if you think he could be the guy. Belichick did that. Belichick it. did that with Jimmy, right? Held him on as long as he could, as long as he could. And because to me, if you think there's a chance he could be the guy, then I wouldn't trade him for a second-round pick next. But year. if he, but if he's bad, then none of it. Then he's like not much yeah, value to you, and he's got no value. Exactly, just no value to anybody. But I think his value to me as the Packers is greater than it, as a quarterback potentially than it is as a draft a trade over o- over under two and a half touchdowns for him. Well, he's thrown seven passes in his career to this point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, has he complete, thrown a touchdown it, yet? No. Well, he hasn't. It's a complete guess. Uh. I'm going to go over. I'm going to say, oh, you said two and a half? Yeah, so you got to uh, Under. I'm going to say he throws two through two touchdown passes for Jordan Love this week. I'm not even confident in the preseason guy. The first ever action he'd got in a real game. I mean, it wasn't real, but for him, an NFL against NFL players in the preseason, LaFleur said after the game, like, yeah, we were planning on playing him in the third half. He got hurt. It's like, I don't even, can this guy make it through a game? We know nothing. And, and let's face it, most people listening to this and most Packer fans, no one watched him play at Utah State. So it's like, we don't really even know what the we guy We watched some like. of the tape. Big arm. Yeah, Doesn't it feel talented. like five years ago? Well, it's because we hear his name so much. You know, he's, he's kind of got the Jimmy Garoppolo. Whenever your famous quarterback doesn't want you there, we just end up talking about you a lot. <laughs> yeah, that, and we've never seen him, it feels like. Doesn't show up anywhere. Well, uh, his preseason got wiped out last year, so that, you know... And he didn't. He didn't even dress last season. You know? That's a part of it. He wasn't the backup quarterback last year. That's right. I've forgotten about that. That's a big part of it. But I don't know. It's Lafleur. It's Jordan Love. Who would you A-Rod. say is a, what's a bigger must win? Chiefs against Jordan Love. Niners against Colt McCoy. Are they on the same level? Like you, neither team can lose, or else it's um, going to feel bad. Yeah, they're on the same level. 
I'd say Colt I mean, McCoy might be three, three Niners are one game worse in the win column, but it'd be the fifth loss for either team. I would say it's worse losing to Colt McCoy because let's say Jordan Love throws for like five touchdowns. It's like, oh, God damn, this guy might be sweet. You know, like Colt McCoy is not sweet. Like we have the evidence is in Colt McCoy's Colt McCoy. And there's Love. tape on him. Yeah. And, and it's just and it's a 35 years game. old. You got it's win. a divisional game too. You're right. Cardinals uh, Niners losing would be worse than the Chiefs losing. Although at some point we stop going, no, nah, no, nah, don't worry about it. The Chiefs are going to make the playoffs. Because that's my react, my reaction every time the Chiefs lose is, no, nah, no, nah, don't worry about it. They're still going to make the playoffs. Yeah. Right? Isn't that how you feel about them? Yes. No, nah, no, nah, don't worry about it. They're still going to make the playoffs. Not that confident anymore. If they lose to Jordan Love, you're going to be like, yeah, what? So. For the Packers, though, and he, be- he looks unreal. And you figure it out with uh, with Rodgers. What if you get like a, a one and a two for him or something? You just a, I, I don't think Aaron's reliable enough to have any confidence that he's going to be on your team beyond whatever the year is. No, no, no. I, I'm saying it would. You would only trade him if you if you extended uh, Rodgers to a long term contract. The moment you do confident, that, yeah. Guy, if you could get a one and a two, you don't trade them to get rid for. No, if Rogers. I could, what I'm saying is, I'm not confident that you could ever be confident that Aaron's on your team beyond whatever year he's on your team. That's what I'm saying. I that's where I think you just sign him to the long term deal. Yeah, and, and then hope trade. that he he doesn't try to get well, out of it. Well, once he signed a long term deal, though, he can't in the NFL. I know he can still make life difficult. That's what I'm saying. Because he just he makes life difficult for the Packers. He's making it difficult right now. I know he's so fucking good. What are you going to do? Yeah, no. If you get a one and a two, I'm not. I would do that. The first scenario was a second. Isn't that what you said the first time? We if I sign him if I sign him to a hundred fifty million dollar extension and I can get a second for him, it's I have to move on. And who knows? That might be the stipulation. Like I'll sign the contract. You trade this guy. That yeah, was kind of in and of itself is nuts. But Tom, but Tom did that. I guess, but he did, and then he and then he left. Yeah, I mean, eventually she left. But a couple years later, I, the Tom had been a much more just reliable member of the Patriots. I agree. Like, and I he came after Jimmy's job category. again. So I, I'd say Tom's when it comes to his back. Uh, Rogers is much more petty with other bullshit. Brady did Brady's pettiness toward Jimmy and the situation was on Rogers's level of pettiness when you force a guy to. Get traded? Yeah, I mean, had 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 Tom signed that really long contract that we're talking about Aaron signing at that point in time? Part of it might have been Tom not wanting to sign it because ultimately Tom wanted out. But yeah, well, is Aaron coming back next week? We just got to pass. I guess pass. he could, right? Yeah. Ten days, he could be back by the next week. <laughs> yeah, I can't even keep up. Incalculated. No, what was his word? Immunized. 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 Yeah. Immunized. All right. Uh, But you know whose job I don't envy? Whoever at the NFL is like, we're reviewing the tapes. It's like, wait a second. You're watching like eight hours of security footage? Well, they did it it, it last year a lot. They did it to the Raiders, right? They got popped. Yeah, but they're after the Raiders. But The the guy who does that job is like, "Mm, Raiders tape today. Ah, Derek Carr arrived at 8.07 a.m. Here's what I think. I think there are teams in the NFL that got nailed last year. The Titans got popped. The Raiders got popped. If I was them, I would be like, fuck you. You better nail this guy. You nailed us. Like, fuck you. And I think that's what's happening right now. And probably just 
I mean, if you're whoever, if you're the Rams, you're like, screw the Packers, right? Nail them. It's right. just, it's a competitive business. You think Mark Davis is, uh, but I agree. If you're like, if you're like Troy Vincent, you're like, oh, okay, so yeah, forward me the PDFs. So the pictures, you're like, you know? the, you're, no, it's like the quality control guy, whoever the, you know, qual- QC guy of the NFL, that guy's job. It's like, I'll just break it on tape <laughs> with like the cowboy remote. Like, who is that? Who is that? Well, part one of the rules is oh, you can't eat with teammates. Tonjus, what's the guy's name? Yeah, Tanya. They're not allowed to Tanyan. eat with teammates, and you're like, he's eating with Tanya. Yeah. Oh, are they? Tanya gave him a bite of his turkey sandwich. Tanya's out. It's the 2022. I just this is exhausting, but it's just the rules. I mean, it's you know, it's it's not that complicated. Uh, all right, Odell Beckham, John, you got a team for him? Raiders. Butcherbox.com/slash/ham. And another special deal, free for a year, you get salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips in every order for a year, plus an additional 20 bucks off, right now at ButcherBox.com slash ham. Been telling you about it for years. Been eating it for years on a regular basis. Easily find high-quality meat and seafood. You can trust 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork-raised, crate-free, and wild-caught seafood. Always be prepared with meat in the freezer when you get butcherbox.com slash ham delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping. ButcherBox is offering you free for a year plus an additional 20 bucks off either salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips in every order for free. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash ham and use the code ham to choose your free offer for a year plus get $20 off your first order. What's up, everybody? It's your old friend, John Middlecoff. I'm here to tell you about our friends at game time. Here's what I need you to do. Go to your smartphone, download a little app called game time. Baseball season's in full swing. Oracle Park, been there a million times, never doesn't live up to the hype. Go get yourself some garlic fries, a brewski, maybe uh, some ice cream. They have very good Ghirardelli ice cream there. And when you do that, promo code HAM. So download the Game Time app, your first pair of tickets, promo code HAM, H-A-M, save $20. The A's, only going to be in the Bay Area for the rest of this season. You probably can basically go for free. Just buy a pair of tickets to any baseball game. They also have comedy shows if you want to check one of those out, or concerts. Game time app, promo code HAM. Save yourself $20. We don't even need a thank you. Just hammer that promo code. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. 
No, he sucks. What was the other team I saw for him? Uh, Saints. Saints? Eh. I, I just... I'm where does Odell. he want to be? Maybe we need to ask Odell. Odell, where do you want to be? How about Odell? Just go away. Like, it's over. I, I, I'm Odelled out. Like, he was good once. He's no longer good. He's a pain in the ass. Like, I, to me, this is at... Like the Browns, the clown show, but this is the, it's, why is it always something with this guy? It's always something. It is always something. And it's always, it's Baker's fault. It's the Browns' fault. It's this guy's fault. Maybe it's just you, Odell. Maybe it's just you, buddy. Now, I, I, I did hear someone talk about the video that he was wide open a lot in that YouTube video. I didn't, I didn't, one, did play. his dad make the cut up or did his dad just repost it? I think his dad just reposted it. You know, someone else made it. Yeah, I saw somebody say his dad made it, which to me would be, I, I assumed it was like just bombs or one of those guys on the internet. Yeah. Beckham Sr. Beckham, that Beckham Sr. made it. I'm like, damn. I mean, Odell, we are coming, what are we in year nine? Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Nine. We're in year nine. We're in year nine. John. That's pretty nuts. When's the last He's time had, he had 80 catches? Uh, 2016. Okay, now he had 77 and 18, but to your point, I mean, He's had 5,000 yard seasons, um, but he hasn't had 80. He hasn't had 80 catches since his first three years in the league. He hasn't had double digit touchdowns since his first three years in the league. And um, he hasn't played. He's played 16 games once in the last two, four, two, four, five years. His first, year in Cle- his first year in Cleveland wasn't terrible. 74, four touchdowns. I mean, it's not a great year, but it's not like. Just a complete scrub. The last two years, now granted he tore an ACL, but 23-17, 17 catches this year. Six games, 17 catches. I mean, who is he? Brandon Ayuk? He's open, John. No one's throwing him the ball. I, I just, this is, I, I, I'm Beckhamed out. Now, here, here's what I would not totally discount. Him having like a resurgent year. You know, next year when he gets to pick his team as a free agent. When he gets but to Tampa? I, Feels like they got a little too much action. Uh, where is Godwin? Where? Is Godwin going to be back there? I could see that be like a Russell Wilson demand. Like we don't have enough. It's like Russell. Our, our best positions are wide receivers. You know, I, I, it's going to be a Cowboys don't need them. Chiefs. Yeah, I, I could see the Chiefs. What if? What if, I mean, to me, that would have Andy written all over it. If he, like, will you turn him down? Hey, just one year, $5 million will resurrect your career. What's he going to do? Say no? Yeah. Hey, guess what I like to do? Throw it, Odell. You know, those other teams you play on that run it, I, I don't even, we don't even have a run plays. Even our run plays are a pass action. I, I Our guy tips it or flips it. I could see him on the Chiefs for sure. I bet he's him a Chief. And- him and Jackson because like I, I saw someone was like oh the Saints want him it's like oh you're, Simeon's gonna throw you the ball Odell you hate Baker what do you, what do you think is going down uh, their fullback that also plays quarterback's gonna throw you the ball like what the Saints sound good when you say it out loud then you're like wait who's their quarterback yeah I know like he can draw you some cool plays on the whiteboard but I don't know if his players can execute them um. If I was right, him John, and I was cut, I bet the Chiefs would try to sign him right now. Well, I mean, he's going to get cut at some point, right? I mean, you'd think, but who knows? It's kind of already weird that they haven't cut him. Uh, how about this, Milkoff? The uh, appearance yesterday by Joe Montana on College Football Live. 
in which he was quoted as saying, if I were the Niners, I would have taken Mac Jones. Nothing against Trey Lance, but Jones is more pro-style offense, more used to being in tough situations, uh, pressure situations. Nothing against Trey. How about that coming up on College Football Live? The producer was like, all right, enough about college questions. Let's not... Hey guys, let's get Joe. Uh, let's get Joe on a on an NFL topic, please, and we'll go ahead and tweet that out. I do think in a college football show, you can always talk about like the rookie quarterbacks from sweet schools. Like if I went on College Football Live, and within the first five minutes of something, Mac Jones or Justin Fields comes up, like we can talk it, and it can Absolutely. be pretty smoothly. So, and Mac is a pretty just famous college player based on last year national champion. I mean, hell. He almost won the Heisman. It was basically between him and his teammate. Uh, I do wonder if Josie's a little of himself in Mac Jones. I, I got to think that's a part of this, right? But, I mean, now he might be nothing Who Wally Pipped him? You know, Trey Lance, right? That version right. of runaround guy. He probably hates runaround quarterbacks. <laughs> and, and who does Steve Young like? <laughs> Trey Lance. So, I, you know, if you're, if you're Joe Montana, you're not pounding the table for Lamar Jackson types. You saw every day like, oh, I don't give a shit this guy can run. Think how many times people told him, oh, this guy's more athletic than you, Joe. He's going to take your job. Yep. And just like, that, but throwing the football in with accuracy is the most important part of the job, right? He's thinking about what Bill Walsh told him. Throw a catchable football, throw it in front of the guy, or you know, hit him in the hands, whatever Joe, Bill Walsh's quote was. But um, that's probably a part of it. And here's the other thing about this. Is this competition, or whatever we want to call it, between all these rookie quarterbacks, is going to play itself out? It, it has not been predetermined that Mac Jones doesn't turn out to be better than Justin Fields and Trey Lance and Zach Wilson. Hell, maybe even Trevor Lawrence. Their careers are in front of them. It's happened before, right? With a guy like Trevor Lawrence not living up to the hype. Probably more often than not. There's been a lot more Trevor Lawrence's that turn out shitty than Peyton Manning's that turn out to be Peyton Manning. Because the top 10 quarterbacks still include Elway, Marino, right? Steve Young, uh, who am I missing? Favre, like this. I mean, the, all these guys haven't been bumped by. We've had fucking quarterbacks drafted every year for twenty-five years. Yeah, Steve came in the league in the eighties, and Brady and he feels like a. I know, and Brady was a six-round pick, so a lot of first-round picks are not just a lock. Yeah, a six-round pick a long time ago, twenty-one years ago. So, yeah, I mean, I. I, I don't Joe's not nuts. Now, I think what we always remember with these things is how it turns out is different than how it feels on draft day. And there's a value element to it. Right. Like if the Patriots could do it over again, would they draft Tom Brady first overall? No, they got him in the sixth round. You wouldn't draft him in the second round or the first round. You'd take him in the sixth round. But the value of the day, right, what the ceiling was, part of it is, well, what was Mac Jones's comp? People are like, oh, it could be Brady. It's like, all right, I'm going to need another comp. It was Cousins. Yeah, or Pennington or whatever. I, actually, his arm's better than Pennington. Um, but here's the thing. Even if his comp is Cousins, he's actually not Kirk Cousins. He's a better athlete. He's McCorkle. I'm just saying he's McCorkle Jones. He's Mac Jones. He's not Kirk Cousins. And we talked about this the other day on the high end for Trey Lance. If he's really good, no one's going to be like, yeah, but he's not as good as Josh Allen. If Josh Allen's a top three quarterback or a top two quarterback and Trey Lance is the sixth best quarterback in the NFL. You go, he's a really good player. He's his own person. That's good enough. But but sometimes this, like if Trevor Lawrence had gone to the 49ers, is Trevor Lawrence playing better than if he had gone to the Jags? Of course. I was thinking about this the other day. Drake London, 
shattered his ankle, right? And he's out for the year. And who knows, like, the timetable, the combine really isn't that far away, right? It's three months. Like, I'm sure he's not going to be able to run. He's going to be, by the time he's drafted, more than likely, if let's just say I'm just going to pick a number, he would have been the ninth pick in this NFL draft. He might now go 21st just because they're healthier players. You just feel more confident. He might fall a little bit. Do you know what's going to happen? He's going to go to a way sweeter team. It's like all of a sudden he's on the Colts or he's on the Titans or he's on the fucking, I was going to say the 49ers, but the Miami Dolphins have their pick. There are some teams well, the Col- with double the Colts picks. Are th- the Colts are three and five. They might be drafted a little higher than you think. Well, and the Eagles have their picks. So some of the, that's the problem this year. A oh, lot yeah. of teams gave away their picks. But you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. sometimes going at pick for Mac, he got to go to Bill box. Belichick. But if he ended up on the Bucks, he wouldn't have played, right, Kyle Trask? No, no, I'm saying Drake London could end up on the Bucks. That would be crazy, but it feels like, yeah. Who knows? I mean, he still might end up going 15. But even if you go 15, sometimes you just end up on just a much more stable team. Like, that might be the Chargers, right? What if they just let Mike Williams walk in free agency and draft Drake London? You know, boom. So it's like Drake London, Keenan Allen, Herbert. <laughs> You're like, hey, Drake London, it sucks, probably going from the 7th pick to the 17th pick, but it could change your life. Right. Like with all if, due- tre- if Trevor Lawrence fails, I do think a lot of people will blame the Jacks. Yeah. It'll be like the way we used to talk about the Browns. It happened in the NBA a lot, right? Like, I was drafted by the Kings. Fuck, who knows? Yeah. Or the I, Pistons but, but, or whoever. But unlike a lot of the people the Kings have drafted, everybody would have drafted Trevor Lawrence, number one. Every single human alive. So, uh, not everybody would have drafted Trey. Not everybody would have drafted Zach. Not everybody would have drafted Max. Some people would have drafted Fields. Yeah. I think there was a clear, he was number one on every board. They can say Zach Wilson. I do not believe it. If if you were drafting one, you're going to take Zach Wilson over Trevor Lawrence. I would be. It's easy to say when you're drafting like 28th, be like, yeah, we had Zach Wilson above him. Like, okay, yeah. What would happen if you, I put you at one? You're going to take Zach Wilson? I'll bet you my ass you won't. Right. Right. So but funny. here's what I know. The second that the Patriots drafted Mac Jones, everybody, us included, went, oh. But he was also like a lot of people thought that he was, you know, could go there, right? Yes. I'm just saying the second it happened, you went, oh, well, maybe he's got a shot to just be solid. He's uh, he's better than I thought he would be even as a rookie. But he looks in the realm of what I expected him to become. And and what he has been this year is not where the discussion... The discussion was never about what does he look like halfway through his first season. It's, in the end, can he be what Trey Lance could be, what Justin Fields could be? One thing one thing I would, be. I would have said this in April, and it's wrong, is I would have said I would have rather just traded a two for Sam Darnold than trade up and get Mac Jones. Or even if you would have said, well, you get Mac Jones at 12, I'd be like, I'd rather take trade the second for, for Sam Darnold and take a player at 12. Yeah, I would have been wrong on that. I would rather have Mac Jones than Sam Darnold. Right. You absolutely would. He's better today than Sam Darnold this four years into his career. You agree and with that? And you'd rather have him right now than Jimmy Garoppolo? Or is yeah. that close? Uh, I think it's close. Yeah, I would just rather have Mac Jones than. But you'd Jim rather have the rookie, and yeah, yeah. But I would rather have what hopefully Trey can become than both. Now that doesn't, he might not become it, right? It's a lot's incumbent on them to coach him up and figure it out. Finally, John, before we conclude today, an ode to Buster Posey, who retired on Thursday. One of the greats. I showed you during our uh, live stream the scorebook I have from calling minor league baseball two thousand nine. 
uh, when Buster was on the Fresno Grizzlies. And, uh, you know, what's crazy about that is he won a World Series in 2010. He retires in 2021. He's in AAA in 09, which was his second year of pro. It really was his first full year of pro ball because he was in college in 2008. Like the whole time, and he was the Golden Spikes Award winner there. Like the whole time, he's just been at, at the head of the class. It's a pretty incredible career he's had. I, I was about to bring up Matt Kane because he got drafted. He was a little older, obviously. He got drafted in 05. But I was just thinking hearing you say that because I know that when you were there, you got to see, right, Lincecum came through, Bumgarner came through, the Fresno Grizzlies, correct? Yeah, I was not there with Lincecum, but I had Bumgar- I was there with Bumgarner and Posey. I mean, guy, they're, they had a run, I guess. So Kane, excuse me. And Kevin me, Franzden. Kane got drafted in 03 and was in the bigs by 05. When I think of their core group of their championship teams, obviously they're bullpen guys, but it's just different because not them all, you know, Affelt wasn't a homegrown guy. Uh, Javi Lopez was not a homegrown guy. Sergio Romo, I'm not sure, was a homegrown guy. It's a little different with bullpen guys. But their core four, you know, that was the name of the bullpen guys, but their core four players to me were Posey and the three-star pitchers. Linscombe, Kane, Bumgarner. All four of those guys shot like a fucking rocket ship in the minors. You know, when you hear some of these well, stories. Well, Tim like, was one, right? One and done. Yeah. Kane came out of high school in 03, was starting in August by 05, and was the number two starter by 06. Bumgarner was whoop. You know, it was like those guys, they were just all, th- all four of them, no doubt about it. Posey was the most influential because he was the starting catcher in all three teams. All, you know, the three pitchers, Linscombe was a star in 10, Kane the star in 12, Bumgarner the star in 14. But it was like, I just think of that group together. Again, they, they kind of overlap and they didn't all peak at the same time. But Posey played such a big role in all three's career. Yeah. right. He's the guy running out to hug them. Linscombe has the 14K game. When Kane dominates in 12, and when Bumgarner goes, I don't know, fucking Tom Brady on baseball in against the Royals. And he's just, we talked so much, we've spent so much, it feels like, of our voices about Trey Lance. And ultimately, the reason we talk so much about Trey Lance is because they put all their chips in the middle of the table to draft the guy at number three overall. And I think when you look at Linscombe, Kane, Bumgarner and obviously Posey was a fifth overall pick. All four of those guys were first round picks. Now they were at different, you know, I think Linscombe was like 10. Kane was 25 out of high school. I think Bumgarner obviously out of high school too and Posey five. All you want is to land a superstar Hall of Famer, right? Whether you trade up to get him, whether you draft him in the first round, you are just hoping to get a star. And Posey, you know, I'd say him, Steph Curry's career right, is going to be better. It's just going to be longer. He's going to score 30 points for like a decade straight, right, or whatever. Not quite 30, but you know what I mean. But you just can't. Like the guy was anchored three World Series teams. He won an MVP. Did he win comeback player of the year? I saw someone say he's won two comeback players of the year. So I assume somebody told me too. Did he win it this year? year? He would have had to. They haven't given their awards (laughs) this year yet, have they? Are people just saying that because he's like a lock? You know, do you get... But he's just... You just can't ask for anything more, you know, when you draft whatever the position is. Obviously, his position, you're going to hit less home runs or whatever. Unless, did Salvio Perez hit like 48 home runs this year? Yeah, or something? he did. 
<laughs> what the fuck was that? It's <laughs> on uh, the Royals. No one knows. <laughs> Posey never had that season, but I looked up a couple times. It was like, he's at 38. It's like August. I'm like, what is going on with this guy? Yeah, I know. I think part of it with Buster, too, is that the... the right, because you want a champion a player, a star player, and a winning player when you draft a guy. Yeah, and a leader. A face of your franchise, yeah. right? And he was all those things, and they he had big moments. But because he was a catcher, he shared big moments with, with pitchers. It wasn't just about hitting. Would you say um, those? Would you agree with me that those three guys synonymous with him? You know, just they're all like yeah, elite players. Yeah, but started all star games. But what's interesting about it, right? He, and he caught two of their perfect games, or no hitter. Kane was a perfect game. He caught one of Lincecum's no hitters. Um, he like their roster was different. All three championships, you know. By the time you got to the second championship, Lincecum was a five ERA guy. By the second championship, yeah, you know, like they had this core. But the, it really was a revolving door around him. The teams were so different every time. They had a few guys that, you know. Tim kind of peaked in nine, but was still good in yeah. 10, right? And helped him a little bit in 12, right? Yeah. Um, for, was it 14? What year did he come out of the bullpen? I don't a know if he was bit. on the team in 14. I think it was 12. So, you know, they – they maybe were it was, so maybe it was maybe it was 14, I thought he right? was but yeah maybe I remember when Buster came up well Buster actually went up at the end of August and then and then came to of 09 then came back I think started 10 in AAA and I remember the conversation like I was in Fresno calling their games at the time and it was are they going to call this guy up and just is he going to take Molina's job and they did and he did and um I think he's a Hall of Famer because I think he was always one of the best catchers in the game like elite elite in that elite every year it was that's one of the best and um i know this about him i remember i think i told you this earlier when he came up in triple a in 09 and i'd seen him in 08 actually i didn't see him in 08 at the college world series because florida state i was there covering fresno state who won it that year that was florida, state was two, florida state got eliminated that year gordon beckham and georgia were there were a big deal wasn't florida state like a top five seed too like they were stacked. yeah and they were two and i think they got swept yeah um but I remember uh, when Buster Posey came up in 2009 to AAA, the story was that Buster, what we were told was Buster had not pulled a home run yet. All his power had been to center, right, center, and right, which is really rare for a young hitter. Usually it's the reverse. Anybody with power starts pulling the ball, and eventually they learn to hit the all fields. Buster was the opposite. And from the beginning for me, Buster was a must-see A.B., because it wasn't just about – it wasn't like Bonds was must-see. But it was any at-bat Buster could take a pitch that would strike other people out and just flip it into right center field and get a single out of it. And I know this. Like, anytime Buster was close to coming up, was at the plate, the rest of his career, his entire career, I always stopped and watched. Every time. Every single time. Because um, I just loved watching him hit. He – I don't know, man. I just loved watching him hit. I remember in AAA one year or that year, 09 – Maybe it was the beginning of 10, going down into the clubhouse. And Buster was in like they had a little side room where you could watch your film. And Buster was in there watching himself hit by himself, just watching the tape of his own swing. And I just kind of poked my head and I'm like, hey, what are you doing? And he just was like, oh, here, come look. And he's I'm just trying to get my it was something about the plane of his bat before he brought it forward where the plane was getting up. This is in AAA or the big leagues? This was in AAA. This was in AAA. Um. And, you know, he was an in-demand guy, so he had people around him a lot just because he was a top prospect, and he wasn't there long. 
But I just always appreciated it. Like, that was always just cool. It was very simple. Like, he loved baseball. He was happy to share it. He wasn't about telling you what he was doing, though. But he was he would share. But it wasn't about – it was never about self-promotion. Ever, 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 no. ever. Well, um, I mean, I, I think, you know, football life – now, you know, his personality is like, like you said, he's not a big talker, you know, for given his accomplishments, he was, he wouldn't, he'd rather never say a word, right? Unless he has to, to like support the team. But think about his baseball life. I mean, he won the Golden Spikes in college. He was the best player on an elite program in the peak of their powers. He comes to the Giants, immediately helps them and anchors a team that goes to the Wins, th- wins three World Series. It'd be one thing if you just went to three and won one. That'd be a hell of a career, right? And he also has been then their starting catcher on several other play. You know, they made the playoffs the one year when they lost the Cubs. They obviously made the playoffs and they won the division this year. He's just obviously it's bigger than just being an all time you know San Francisco athlete. I mean, he's he's really a historic baseball player, right? One yeah. of the best pl- the best position player on a team that won three world series in five years. And, and was a like to me, the fact that he was the catcher, <clears throat> not the first baseman or whatever other position. Right. Yeah. And, and then you describe like all the things that happened along the way, Michael Morse's home run, his grand slam, uh, Cody Ross, Travis Ishikawa, uh, Lincecum's debuts, Lincecum in the Lincecum against the Braves, uh, Sandoval against the Tigers. I mean, I, I'm not, I, that that's like, what did I just, if you said list the big big moments, I just probably listed. Would you 15% list the home? Of them. You hit the grand slam. He hit game five against Cincinnati Reds. In, grand slam against the Reds in twelve. I was scouting. I, I was listening to it on the radio. I remember being in the airport line. I think in Arizona, it was incredible because it was a tie game and he fucking hit a grand slam yeah. against Dusty Baker's led Reds, and they That's were right. good. I think Joey Votto was the MVP that year. They had Johnny Cueto. They had Araldus Chapman. Like that, that Cincinnati Red team in twelve was not like the group they've had the last couple of years. Like a good team. Like that team was loaded with like hundred million dollar players. Yeah, and Dusty, and the, yeah. and the Giants were down. weren't they it down on the 02? And they came back. They won three straight games. His but his bomb though was just like, you know, on the road. I just vividly remember watching the the whole place went fucking silent. And then obviously they came back the next series down three one. That was the Hunter Pence game, right? Wasn't that the series that the game that Pence gave him the speech and threw the seeds in twelve? That might have been against St. Louis the following when they were down three one. Oh, Zito, Zito, Zito that had was a moment. Zito. Yeah, you're right. That was Zito. But they were down two zero and then three one. You know, it went like they were they're back against the wall. I, each one of their World Series, I remember just thinking like, I can't believe they just won the World Series. You know. Yeah, it was crazy. Uh, game seven, Bumgarner. I mean, and just like all these other guys, right? Zito, Lincecum, uh, Hudson, Peavy, Brian Wilson. Huff. Huff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Renneria had a moment. The Renneria. It's, dude, so many moments. And I did, I, I do think with hindsight, like he took the year, I think part of the reason he was probably so good in 2021. It's because he took the year off, got his body right, got his mind right, and said, "I, I got one more in me." And, I just and had and had everything. He put everything into that final year, and he went out on top. I went to Pavlovich's uh, Twitter account, and I guess one thing he said, he said he thought coming into this year, this would probably be his last year, and he was much more at peace when they had a great season. It's easier to kind of go out, not quite Elway style because they didn't win it, but I mean, he had a All Star. Did he get 
he had Corona or something right before the All-Star game because he was the All-Star starter. No, he was he couldn't. Hurt. Uh, was it COVID or was he just kind of hurt? Maybe that's what it was. He was injured, but he would have been the All-Star starter. He was having an incredible first half. And then they won the West and they got to play the Dodgers. Like that's He deserved to play the Dodgers in the playoffs, right? Yeah, I just can't believe I – I still can't believe one of those two teams didn't win at all. He had a home run, I think, in game five, right? He went big home run. Abo Taco. It's a big home run. I, I, that's one I'm, you're watching and going, I suppose he could just go deep here, and he did. Yeah, he always came through. Yeah, I do think – you know, it's a good point. I think baseball, too, is pretty unique. Um, like, they didn't win the World Series, but winning your division in an epic race is, a, is still a hell of a way to go out on top when it's a race with the Dodgers all year long. I mean, for not winning the World Series, I got to imagine it was one of the most fun seasons he's ever been a part of. It's weird because it's definitely not the best team he's ever played on because they didn't win the World Series, but it by far is the best team he's ever played on. Yeah, exactly. 107 games. <laughs> exactly. He he won more games. I think their most the most the winningest team he played on was like 94 wins. So he won 13 extra games in baseball. That's a lot of games, right? That's a couple weeks worth of wins. I, I, I do think you can go out like, you know what? That I didn't win a championship, but that's a pretty memorable special seat. Like baseball seat. It's why people say like, you know, we want two World Series and seven divisions. Like no one ever says that in basketball. We won the Pacific nine times. Like no one yeah. can. But in Honestly, baseball, you, don't, you say that because it's a even, long. It's you don't really even talk about that in football. You don't even talk about that in football. You can kind of brag really? about playing the NFC or AFC championship game. We we went to three AFC championship yeah, games and won a Super Bowl. Sure. But no but one's like, we won four in the West. No, NFC, you know, no one cares. Because it's a hell of a – like, that's why I don't mind when they pop bottles. Like, it's such an accomplishment to win over 162. What about popping bottles and then win the wild card game, popping more bottles, and then winning the first round and then popping bottles? You can pop, like, bottles, like, four times in a month span in baseball. Because you that's pop right. bottles after every playoff win. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and if you make the wild card, and if you maybe you play in a tie, in, yeah. So it, 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 you can go three pop bottles. If you're a drinker, I mean, you, you better shake that hangover fast. How about if you got to like if the carpet's just all mushy the next day when you come in know. for another bottle popping? That's why Dusty had the rubber gloves. You know, he doesn't ruin his hands. It's true. All right. On that note, everybody, thanks for hanging with us. Mailbag coming tomorrow. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.